Welcome to the Dunking Project podcast. My name is Zoe and I'm the founder of the Dunking Project. The Dunking Project's purpose is to share the real stories of those who put their faith in Jesus. We hope that through these stories, many more people will come to know of God's realness and in turn have their own faith and relationship with Him. And those who already know God will be encouraged and pushed into living a radical life for Jesus. God is so real, God is so good, God is so faithful, and God is love. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back, everyone. I'm so excited that we are officially on a roll now producing content for you all. This week, I'm joined by my friend Nicholas, who also goes by the nickname of Iggy. He's a really humble and powerful follower of Jesus, and he was actually one of the first people to pray for me when I gave my life to Christ back in 2016. And I think his relationship with Jesus is pretty rad and wonderful. Alongside Nicholas's testimony today, we'll be talking about what the gospel actually is and how someone can follow Christ. I know before I became a Christian, I was always really confused when people would refer to this thing called the gospel. And while I really loved the idea of becoming a Christian, for so long I never actually knew how to do it. A few weeks ago, I had the pleasure of hearing Nicholas explain in a really beautiful way what the gospel actually is. So I thought we'd get him on our podcast to share his story and his wisdom on the matter. So welcome Nicholas to the Dunking Project podcast. Hey, welcome. (laughs) So before we get into your testimony today, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, for sure. So my name's Nicholas. Lots of people call me Iggy. It's a long story, but it's quite a short explanation. My friends just called me Iggy because they thought I looked like an Iggy. So then that's it. And I'm studying to be a high school teacher. I'm in my fifth year of uni now, almost done. I coach basketball in the meantime. I love making surfboards. I love surfing, riding longboards and sometimes shortboards. I love nature and sitting out in the in the bushland as well. So yeah. How long have you been a Christian for? So I've been a Christian for 2013, September 2013, I think is around the time that I got saved. So that makes me coming up to seven years following Christ, probably six and a half right now. My story with meeting Jesus actually began when I was a young kid and I think I was nine or ten. And then I was on a school camp and then I heard John 3.16 and John 3.16 says that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And I remember just hearing that and being like, wow, all I got to do is believe in Jesus and I'll have eternal life. I was like, that's that's what I want. I just want my, my Jesus to be my friend and I just want to know that I'm loved. And so I did that. I gave my heart to Jesus. I prayed my leaders and I just remember lying in bed at night and just knowing that Jesus was my best friend and that if all my friends rejected me, it didn't matter because I just had a friend in, in Jesus and I was just lying in bed just thinking, wow, yeah, I love the Lord. And then I fell away from God shortly after that because I had no one around me to support me and I had different voices in my life telling me that it wasn't true and not to worry about it. And so the second time I came to the Lord was a much harder process. It wasn't so childlike and so simple. So I came back to Jesus when I was 18, the day that I graduated year 12. For two years, year 11 and year 12 of high school, I just had this insatiable feeling inside of me that I had to figure out what happened when I died and why I was alive. And I just had these constant nagging thoughts about purpose and what was the purpose of this life. And I I was haunted by my own thoughts of this thing is just meaningless, thinking that there is no point to it and and then asking, well, what's the point of that? And then what's the point of getting a job? And what's the point of having a career if you're just going to end up dying one day? And is it all just worthless? And um, so then I went on this pursuit for two years to figure out what the point of life was, what happens when I die. And 
that took me on a journey of experimenting into Buddhism, New Age, looking at Islam, looking at Judaism and Hinduism, but really getting into New Age and ultimately then becoming an atheist and then coming back around to give my heart to Jesus when I realized that he was, he was real. He was who he said he was. You've gone into a bunch of different religions and end up an atheist. How did you prove in your heart that Jesus was real? I thought, you know, there, there's all these religions out there. I've got to find out what each one says and whatever's true, then I'm willing to give it a go and I'm yeah. willing to follow it. So then the ones that I looked into the most and really gave a, a good go was I got into Buddhism and new age spirituality. They sort of merged together. I remembered having a spiritual experience when I was much younger, I was in my early teens and my mum actually took me to an acupuncturist because I was having trouble sleeping at night. And this is the same guy who I ended up reconnecting with when I was in that year 11 and 12 stage. He was doing acupuncture on me and then I had my eyes closed and then he said to me love's a beautiful thing isn't it I didn't understand how he knew that because while I was having my eyes closed getting acupuncture done on me I saw a love heart in my mind's eye and then he goes love's a beautiful thing isn't it and I just grabbed my mom I'm like oh, what the heck is going on I couldn't believe that he knew what was in my mind. Then I ended up going back to that same person once I was looking into Buddhism because I knew there was something going on there. Whatever it was, there was something going on. And it, it involved a lot of just contemplation and just being still and focusing on your breathing. And I experienced little measures of peace and I guess a sense of satisfaction and contentment in that place. But the thing was that I, I realized on reflection, the pursuit of spirituality should make us more selfless and not self-focused. And for me, while the label that we gave it was, you're trying to lose yourself, but actually it's all about yourself. And I didn't find myself becoming more loving. I didn't find myself becoming more selfless. And so when my treatment of my friends and my own thoughts towards myself weren't very kind and weren't very loving, I was just like, ah, oh, dang, this cannot be, this can't be the one, this can't be the thing that I'm searching for, it can't be that real deep meaning. I think that it promised me some sense of enlightenment or some sense of fulfillment, and I, it felt like I was grasping at the wind, I couldn't get there, I felt like I was just grasping at smoke, and it was always the next step, and you had to get to the next step, and the next stage of meditation, or, yeah, and, and I could just never attain it. So I, I think that led me to a place where I was like, well, I've got such animosity in my heart towards Christianity because I'm being fed it at school. And then I, this other spirituality hasn't worked out for me. And so I was still dabbling in that, but then I basically decided that I call myself an atheist. And I got into watching all these atheists on YouTube, like Christopher Hitchens and Lawrence Krauss and Richard Dawkins. And they would always debate Christians. And I loved it because I was like, yeah, that's, suffering is a reason that God can't be good or can't exist. Or, you know, I, I really could just like get behind them and just, yeah, I felt like that sort of sense of there is no God, so I can do what I want, but also I can sort of appease my conscience. Now I know that there's not a God, but then I can appease my conscience that's gnawing at me to say, oh, you've got to be a good person or whatever. So I'd get behind these social justice causes as well, which isn't bad, but when you're doing it to try and validate your identity and try and validate um, your own guilty conscience, it can create a bit of a spiral of, of constantly having to try and prove yourself through social justice causes like saving the environment. I was avidly supporting Greenpeace and Save the Whales, but it was all rooted in, man, my conscience feels so guilty and I know that I've walked away from God. I've got to try and validate myself through whatever means I can. And that, for me, that was getting into being an atheist and then getting into different social justice causes just in my own thinking and the way I'd talk to my friends and everything like that.
So once you got there and you were kind of appeasing that conscience and that guilt, what led you back to Jesus? I, I mean, in, in hindsight, I know that the Lord doesn't give up on us. And I know that Jesus remembered from when I was a little kid. He remembered that time I gave my heart to him and, and that he loves, loves me. And he was faithful to bring me back into a relationship with him. At the time, I didn't realize that. And at the time, I forgot about giving my heart to Jesus when I was little. So for me, at the time, it was, okay, I, I had this feeling and knowing in my heart that heaven and hell were real places. I don't know why, I just knew. And so I was like, well, I've got to find out that Jesus isn't God and isn't the Messiah and Christianity is false. I had to find that out so I could just live my life, eat, drink, be married, do what I wanted. And I would know that I wasn't going to go to hell. That was the main thing. I was like, if I can disprove this, then I've got, I'm just going to be okay. And I can do what I want and know that there's going to be no repercussions for my life. So then that sent me on a quest to try and, you know, disprove Christianity. And so I'd be sitting in my Christian studies class and I'd be, you know, really challenging the teacher and challenging everything that he said. And being quite mean to Christians as well. Like I remember I made one of my classmates who was a Christian cry because I was just so harsh and I had such a pointed crit criticism of Christianity. But the thing was, my challenges just ultimately led to answers. And so I was really into history at school. So then I got into the historical evidence for Jesus' life, death and resurrection. And I thought, okay, if Jesus rose from the dead, if I can find that out historically, then I can trust the rest of his words. And then I can trust that what he says, that if he's the way, truth and life, then this is all true. Then eternal consequences are real as well. And I've got to get my heart right with him. So I got into historical evidence and I'm doing a course right now at Sydney Uni, which is really cool to revisit the historical evidence that my faith was actually based upon when I, when I first gave my heart to the Lord. And the course is called The Historical Jesus. And yeah, the historical evidence that I found was that it's historically, I guess you could say historical truth, or you can say the unanimous historical consensus is that Jesus was a man who lived, who performed healings and deliverances, that he was an apocalyptic messianic preacher, that he believed that he was bringing the kingdom of God and he believed the kingdom of God was still to come and that he died on a Roman cross and that he appeared to his disciples after his death. And that's that the disciples claimed that he appeared to them and that Christianity and its rapid expansion from the point of Jesus's death up until when it became the imperial religion of Rome, that that period there can't be explained by anything else other than a risen Christ who left followers behind him that still love him up until this very, very day, 2000 years later. That's not a faith statement. You can do your own historical research, but that was sort of the general historical consensus amongst the academic community of who Jesus was. I mean, what you make of those different things is up to you. What you make of the disciples claiming to witness Jesus is up to you. But it is historically uh, pretty certain that they claimed that Jesus rose from the dead. Why would they lie, really? Like, what's <laughs> the point? And that was the other thing. I thought, man, these poor guys got crucified. They got sworn into. They died for their faith. Why yeah. would they die for something that they know that they made up? I mean, you'd die for a lie if you don't know it's a lie. But they would have definitely known it was a lie. So that that rocked my boat. That rocked my world. I... I remember I, I heard all of this on a Crusader study camp in year 12, where we went on these camps to study for the HSC. And little did I know that they were trying to share the gospel with us and lead us to Jesus. And so me and all my mates were like, oh my gosh, they're going to try and convert us and da da da. Well, they got me because um, I heard a guy, his name was Simon, and he gave a, a seminar on the historical Jesus. And I remember walking out of that room with one of my best mates at the time. 
And I looked at him, I said, dude, this stuff is legit. Jesus actually rose from the dead. I was like, what do we do with this? He looked at me and he said, yeah, I know, but I'm just not ready to give my life away. I just want to do what I want to do. Whereas I was in a different position. I was ready to give my life away and, and I was ready to surrender my life. And so the truth of the gospel coupled with that heart of, man, my life isn't working out too well. I want to surrender my life. That's really where I experienced Jesus for the first time. What does surrendering your life look like? You had said it just a couple of times just then. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about somebody who doesn't know Christ and they'd be like, oh, surrender my life. Why would I surrender my mm-hmm. life, you know? Mm-hmm. So do you want to kind of go into mm. what surrendering your life looks like? Yeah. So for me, I'd been at that seminar and on that camp and then it was still a couple of months until graduation. And the day I graduated year 12 was the day that I surrendered my life back to Jesus. I gave my heart back to him. For me, what that meant was everything I believe begins in our heart. It's like a decision and it begins in our heart and then it outworks through our life. So I wouldn't concern myself too much with the outworking of surrender as I would with the decision to surrender. Things have to begin in seed form before they germinate and become a tree. So I believe that the seed form of your heart's decision germinates into the tree of a surrendered life. And so what that looked like for me was I graduated year 12 and I was at, yeah, I was in quite a low place. I was like at this weird time where school's ending and your whole world's coming to an end and you're sort of thinking, well, you know, we're partying, we're studying, we're, you know, I'm experimenting with different drugs and, and with my friends. And you're in this big concoction, this mixed bag, I guess, of where, where I was at in life. And I'd sort of was on this goal for truth and destiny and, and what's the purpose of this life. I was at a really low point as well. And so for me, it was like coming to Jesus, sitting in my car at DY Beach. And I remember sitting there and I think for me, surrendering my life looks like an acknowledgement that I wasn't Lord and I didn't have all the answers. I didn't know what was best for my life. I didn't know how to have eternal life. I didn't know how to save myself. And so it was a real, that seed form in my heart was just like, Jesus, I'm not Lord anymore. You're Lord. And I think since I gave my heart to Jesus when I was a little kid and then I walked away, that rest of my life, that, that big section of however many years it was, 10 years or so, I lived with me being Lord of my life, me thinking that I knew what was best, I knew the best way to live my life and that it was going to work out. And I think there was a realization that my way wasn't working. And there's a scripture for that. It says Isaiah 55, I think it says, um, for my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. From the distance to the heavens to the earth is how much greater my thoughts are than your thoughts and my ways are than your ways, says the Lord. And so I, I realized that, wow, my way isn't the way. <laughs> And so surrender for me looked like confession in, in prayer. So prayer is just talking to God as well. And th- that's the way everything in the Christian walk begins is through communication with God through prayer. And so I communicated that to him and I said, Jesus, like my life isn't that great. <laughs> it's not working out me being Lord of my life. I don't want to be Lord of my life anymore. I want you to be Lord of my life. And so when you humble yourself, then you'll be exalted. When you bring yourself uh, to that place where you admit that you're not Lord anymore, he's Lord. That's all it takes. I believe surrender is just summed up in Jesus is Lord. I'm not. And it sounds like weird and you're subjugating yourself and you know, you're letting someone else be the Lord and you're a servant almost, but it's so not a warped view of that. It's actually where you find your life. And that was my experience is when I laid my life down, that's when I found it. And I feel like every other pursuit that I had in my life 
was always trying to find my life, find it through sport, find it through girls, find it through drugs and alcohol, find it through different spiritualities. But it wasn't until I laid down my life is when I truly found it. When I admitted that I wasn't Lord, but he was, and that he knew what was best for me. It was so hard. I was like saying it through grit teeth. It was the hardest thing in my entire life. But I just felt absolute rest and I felt like I'd finally stopped running because God's running after every person on the planet and he was running after me and I was running away from him as fast as I could. And Surrender looks like rest and it looks like stopping running and then falling into the arms of grace. And that's when you really experience God's unconditional love and acceptance for us. Yeah, so that for me, that's surrender and has a practical outworking afterwards in our, in, in our life. But I wouldn't even concern myself with that. I didn't even think about that when I was in that car at DY Beach. All I knew was I'm at the end of my rope. I need a new rope. I need, I need Jesus. Yeah. So you've given your life to Christ. You've surrendered to him. What year was that? It was 2013. You said, yeah. So we're at seven years later. Yeah. Right. So you've walked with the Lord for a, a while now. Can you kind of just explain what life he's given you now? So, oh, wow. It hasn't all been rosy, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. It was the best decision I could have ever made in my entire life for an 18 year old broken young man to give my heart to Jesus. It was the best decision of my entire life, but has it been easy? No, like it's been difficult, but he carries you through different things and and he carries you through the difficulties and you have amazing victories as well. I think for me, what it looked like at the start was being very confused about what following Jesus was all about. I knew that I was a different person. So I knew that I was changed but that hadn't worked itself out in my life. And I think a lot of people think, oh, if I become a Christian, I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And it can become like a pressure to try and perform to be a Christian. But becoming a Christian is giving your heart to Jesus, like I said, and then you become a new creation. And so what that means is, you know that you were not God's child, but now you are God's child. I, I was unclean, but now I'm considered clean. I was unrighteous, but now I'm considered righteous. I knew that he changed me, but my life hadn't lived up to that. So I was still partying and I was still doing different things that were sort of like deliberate sin, I guess, deliberate walking away from God. But once I talked to some of these guys who I met at this Bible study, and I remember just meeting them and just being like, you guys are different. Like there's something about you guys. I don't know what it is, but you're just very different. And then they said, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and I said, well, I don't know what anything that is. <laughs> I got no idea. What what does that even mean? And um, it was through those guys that I found out that in Jesus, I had a new identity, that I was no longer separate from God, just outcast. I was actually his own child. I was accepted and loved and I was holy and blameless in God's sight. And he became my sin so I could become his righteousness, like I could become his perfection. But then also through those guys, I got introduced to being filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you don't know what that means, don't worry, I didn't either. All I know is it was the most amazing thing I've ever experienced in my life. And I do, I believe that we receive the Holy Spirit when we believe in Jesus but I also I can't deny what I've experienced in my life and I can't deny what scripture says in Ephesians 5. It says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It says, don't get drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, being filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's a command in scripture that we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happened was I went to this person's house and we, they were worshiping. So they were playing instruments and singing praise to God. And I just remember sitting there, just, you know, singing the songs as you do, just you know, going along. 
And then I just felt this love, like it just, it felt like honey running from the tip of my head down to my toes and then welling up inside of me. And it was like I was on drugs, but drugs wouldn't even do it justice. Like drugs had paled in comparison to the experience of God's pure love. And Romans 5 says, the Holy Spirit, he fills our hearts. We're filled with the Holy Spirit by the love of God being poured into our heart by the Holy Spirit. And that's what I was experiencing, the love of God being poured into my heart by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. It was this incredible experience of love just washing over me and sort of core of my being. And I just knew that God was my father and I was his son. But my body's response to love was quite funny. I just started laughing because, and I wasn't laughing because anything was funny. I was sort of laughing that like awkward laugh where you're like, uh, uh, I can't believe God loves me. That awkward like giggle where you're just like, oh, I can't believe that someone actually loves me. I've, I'd never felt love like that before. Whether I'd been loved in that way, I think I had, but I'd never let it in. I had walls in my heart that I was constantly pushing it away. And for once I'd stopped running, I'd put myself in a position to experience that. And I've never been the same since. And that experience is sort of, it simmers and then it bubbles up and it simmers and bubbles up, but it never leaves. It's the love of God inside of our hearts. So that was an incredible time with Jesus. And I would say that marks my life now is experiencing God as my father, knowing that he's my father and spending time with him every day. And it's not because I have to, it's because I get to. It's it's not like a duty that I perform. It's like, no, I actually genuinely enjoy Jesus. He's a very nice person to be around. He's very kind and friendly. And now I'm not under his wrath. Now I'm under his grace. I'm very grateful and I can be his friend and I can just enjoy him. And so my life's quite simple now, but it's I'm so over the moon about it. Like I'm just so content in spending time with him. So that looks like for me in the mornings and nights, just um, getting alone in a room and just communing, like talking to him as a friend. And it sounds crazy, but I just talk to Jesus and I say, hey, Lord, I'm here. I love you. And I just, I worship you now. And I just welcome you here. I just love, love you. And I just want to be with you now. Something like that. And it's not scripted. And then I just wait. And then waiting on the Lord is so important. The Psalms constantly instruct us to wait on the Lord and be still and know that he's God. And so I be still, I wait on him. And then it's amazing because that same experience with the Holy Spirit, I can't explain it, but it just, it happens. <laughs> and then I'm just experiencing his love just because I've made a bit of room for him. And everything in the Christian walk is very simple and it's not very complicated. In whatever way it looks like, sometimes there's no experience and sometimes it's just like a deep knowing that he's my friend sitting there with me. But sometimes there is those ecstatic experiences and, and that's beautiful as well. But it's just, it's making a little bit of room, being simple and childlike and childlike in heart and just wanting to spend time with Jesus who saved us. And so I'll just do that in my room and I'll just sit there and enjoy him and then I'll read his word. And then I'll talk to him about what I read and say, I don't get that. I get this. Lord, thank you for that. And thank you for this. And Lord, I believe that. I haven't seen that in my life yet, but I, I believe that that will come to pass. It's just, just the way you do a relationship with anyone else, except you can't see it. And that's what makes it so beautiful. So then I think the next part of my life is that it's like a faith walk now. God's hidden himself and made him invisible so that we have to have faith and trust. I have faith and I trust that he's there though I can't see him. And I know when I get to heaven one day, I'll see him and I'll be able to have friendship with him face to face and I'll, I'll know the reality. But it's so much more beautiful even now to be able to do that by faith, knowing that I can't see him, but yet I still trust him and I can't see him, but yet I still love him. And that makes God feel so loved that someone doesn't need anything to to prove that he's there with them. They just trust him from their heart. And and though I've had evidence to, to you know bring me to this place, 
it's ultimately just moved into a, a faith walk where I live by faith and not by sight. I just, I trust him and that pleases God's heart to know that someone trusts him. And God likes to be trusted like that. It makes his heart very happy. In general life, it was really hard as well. My dad died shortly after meeting Jesus. That was so difficult. But the thing was, God leads us through the victories and he also leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. He leads us through dark places, but he leads us through the other side. And I'm so grateful that I met Jesus just before this because in 2014, I'll never forget like, you know, police officers coming to my door late at night and saying, is your mom home? And I said, uh, no, she's not. Is everything okay? And they said, yeah, yeah, it's all good. Um, we'll be back later. So I came back and I thought my mum was in trouble, but it turned out that they were telling her that my dad had passed passed away. And I mean, that's incredibly hard for a young man. And I was 18, yeah, 18. And then to find out that your father's gone and who's going to teach me how to shave? I hadn't grown, <laughs> I hadn't grown facial hair yet. So, <laughs> you know, who's going to teach me how to shave? Who's going to, who's going to teach me how to go and, and work? Who's going to teach me how to pay tax? Who's going to teach me how to get ready for a job employment opportunity and uh, all these things that, and who's just going to be my dad and we'll go fishing together or surfing or whatever. It's tough. And, and the thing I found with God through that was he doesn't mask the pain. Jesus meets us in the pain. He doesn't just meet us in the heavens. He meets us on the ground, in the earth, in the dirt, in the mud. He's the God of the heavens just as much as he's the God of the ground. And I just remember sitting on my roof, I'd climb up a ladder and I'd sit up on that roof and I'd just say to God, like, God, I'm, I'm here. And I, I just want to mourn my dad now, mourn the loss of my dad. And I read in Matthew 5, it says, blessed are those who mourn for they'll be comforted. So I thought, well, I'm going to mourn and it's on God to comfort me. And sure enough, he did. And it felt like a blanket just wrapping around my shoulders, the, this, the warmth and the hug of a father. And then I read other scriptures where God says um, to Jesus, he says, you're my beloved son and you I'm well pleased. And um, we're in Christ now. So then since I was in Christ, I knew that the father was saying, I'm his beloved son and who, who he loves, he's well pleased. Jesus says, call no man on earth your father because you have one father who is in heaven. And the comfort and the peace that brought to my heart, it was just like, I, I, I couldn't believe that God would be my father. And I may have lost an earthly dad, but I gained a heavenly father in that time, Jesus tells us to pray and he says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Like he's our father, he's a dad and he, he loves his children. And so, yes, I mourned and it was hard, but also God became my father. And I think another thing that's marked my life since then has been like, this is all spiritual that I'm talking about. It's inside of our hearts and it's through prayer. It's all in secret, but also the redemption of God is real life. He actually works circumstances where there's loss, pain, whatever it is. He works them for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. But he actually redeems them back to the way they should have been. And sometimes he makes them even better. And that sounds like just a concept, but it's actually become reality because I lost my dad and I had a broken home as well. So my parents were divorced Every one of my grandparents has been divorced. So I've got eight grandparents because all of them are divorced. So brokenness in my family has just defined our family. And I just thought it was normal to have a divorced, broken family. I didn't know what a healthy family with a mum and a dad who love each other and love you and they're together. I knew that for part of my childhood, but I didn't know that for my later teen years. And anyway, I missed out on that. And I especially missed it when my dad died. But God was so faithful. He redeemed that all. So now for about, I think I was there for like 
five months or six months, I lived at this beautiful family with Jules and Holly in Forestville and I got to live at their place. Ever since I met them in, uh, I met them in uh, 2017, ever since 2017, they've taken me in as like their own son. It's basically like, if it's in the fridge, it's yours type thing. And I come into their home and be a son in the house. And they're no, your pastors as well. They're my pastors yeah. in my church and th they have talked to me through the hardest things. They've been there for me when I've been working through some deep heart stuff and they've been there for me when uh, I've been going through massive victories and they've been available to talk to that Julesy has been like a dad to me like you know he sort of just takes me under his wing and just like come on mate let's go pray or let's go and um, go surfing or whatnot so I'm eternally grateful for them because I realized that the redemption of God for what I missed growing up God doesn't forget about it and he actually redeems them all so the the healthiness and the the wholeness that that healthy family puts in, in a young child's heart. I missed it, but God didn't forget. And he actually redeemed it and he worked it, worked it back to become even better than what I could have ever imagined to know that I'm safe, that I'm secure in a family, not I'm loved, that the fridge is always open. People get stumbled as well because 2014 is when my dad died to 2017. That's three years without that. And so if people are looking for God just to fix their mess or fix their life, it doesn't work like that. Just go to him, trust him as your father, and he fulfills all our needs. The Lord is our shepherd. I shall not want. I lack nothing. But the thing is, when you patiently wait and you're patient and you just enjoy Jesus in the meantime, then you just find that your life just got redeemed and you weren't even aware. It just happened. What well, says in 1 Corinthians, love is patient. And that's what God desires as well. He, he wants to be patient to us, but he also wants us to be patient to him. And so that's an opportunity in the waiting to love God. But yes, so that was incredible. And, and I think I've done a few other silly things uh, that that dad's death wasn't my fault, but I've done other silly things that I've messed things up and I've seen the Lord actually uh, redeem them even through our mistakes. So that was just, that's been incredible. And yeah, I mean, yeah, I could go on for days talking about life now, but yeah. And that's the beautiful nature of God is that he meets us where we're at. I remember you talking a couple of weeks ago about the gospel and I think people hear this word gospel and, you know, you've just shared it in your life as an overview of, of how he's redeemed your life. But I just kind of want you to, if you could, just share what the gospel is, the gospel of, of what we believe in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the gospel, what, what it means is it's the good news. And so the good news, it means it's good. It means it's happy. It's good news. But it comes with, I guess, being able to admit the reality that the reality without Jesus is bad news. It's not a good place to be in. And I think the way I, I could explain it is that the gospel is God coming to a planet, coming to a world that's full of orphans and redeeming them to be his sons and daughters, adopting them to be his sons and daughters. So what I mean by that is we were created by God and he's our father. He originally was our father and he was our creator and he made us in his image and likeness. In that perfection and in that relationship, we had total free will. We had freedom to choose Jesus. We had freedom to not choose him. It was, it was a choice. And, um, you know, all, all was going well. But then you see in the book of Genesis, in Genesis 3, like we chose to choose our own way. Like I was saying, we chose to live our lives our way. And sometimes it actually works quite well for a while. And that's the trap is sometimes choosing our way apart from God can work well. But the thing is, there's, there's an extent and there's a time limit to how well that's going to work well. It might work well even for this entire life, but it's not going to carry through to eternity. And so in choosing our own way, 
and choosing to disobey God's commands to choosing to disobey what his Bible talks about, then we actually make ourselves spiritual orphans. We separate ourselves from our Heavenly Father and we cut ourselves off from being children of God. And and the Bible says that if people don't have a relationship with God, then you're no longer a child of God, that you're a child of wrath. You're a child of separation from God. And that's pretty heavy, but it's not God's heart that you would be a child of his wrath, that you will be eternally separated from him in hell. That's not what he desires. Otherwise, he wouldn't have come and died on the cross. And so in separating ourselves from God, we became spiritually orphaned. We didn't know who our father was. We didn't know where we belonged. We didn't know the way in which to live. And so God saw this issue and he said, okay, he actually foresaw this issue, but for the sake of our story, <laughs> he saw this issue and he goes, well, we can do something about this Jesus. And, and so Jesus was a son, but he took off his sonship. He became an orphan for us so that then the orphans can become sons again. And um, so Jesus, what he did was the only thing that can pay for our sin is blood. I don't understand this. It's sort of a mystery to me, but it's just one of those things where it is sort of like the, the sky's blue, the leaves are green. It says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. For there to be forgiveness, for us to be welcomed back into God's family, God's house, it has to be life for life. God's justice works like that. Like he can't just excuse us and just let us go free because that would violate his justice. But then he can't just let us be condemned because then that, that would violate his love. So he had to exchange a life for life. He had to exchange a son for sons and daughters. And so that's where Jesus came to earth. Fully God, fully man. He stepped into our humanity. He stepped into our world and he walked and lived among us and he displayed to us what the father's like. He displayed to us exactly what God the father's like. All he did was love, comfort the downcast, love the outcast. He loved the prostitutes. He loved the tax collectors who healed the blind and raised the dead, healed the sick. He wasn't afraid to get his hands on people with leprosy. He wasn't afraid to get his hands on them and let the life in him flow through them and restore them back to perfect health. And, and it was all part of God's plan to reveal who he is as a father, but then also to give Jesus his only son so that we could become sons, to give his only son to pay for our sin so that we could be welcomed into God's family covered in the righteousness of Jesus, covered in his holiness, in his blamelessness, covered in his perfection, so we could be welcomed back and adopted as, as his children. And so Jesus died on the cross for you and for me because he loves you and because he was giving up his right as the son of God so that we could become the sons and daughters of God. And he breathed his last and he was separated from God. The father turned his back on Jesus and how hard that would have been for the father to actually have to turn his back on his one and only son. God, the father was the only person who had power then in that moment to save his son, to protect him. And the father had to willingly step back and turn his face away. I imagine that the heartache and the anguish, his one and only son, Jesus, just hanging on the cross. And the father knew that if he saved Jesus then, then we wouldn't all be saved. And the father chose to bring all of us with Jesus then to just redeem and save Jesus in that moment. And the father left Jesus to die for our sin. But the thing is, Jesus is life itself and the grave couldn't contain him and, and, and you can't hold down God. 
And so Jesus rose again on the third day in victory over our sin. He rose in victory over our orphanness. He rose in victory over our separation from God, showing that we will be permanently united and joined to God if we make a decision to believe what he's done for us and turn away from our life of sin. And so he rose in victory, came out of the tomb. (laughs) He's the son of God in all power. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And he said, go therefore, make disciples of all nations. So that's a spiritual context. Um, That's a historical story where where Jesus rises from the dead and he ascends to the right hand of the Father. But the thing is, when you give your heart to Jesus, your story becomes intertwined with his story. So you know that this crazy message that Jesus died for our sins and he rose again and he justified us and he made us children of God again. We know that that story is true because when we believe in Jesus, we actually participate in our own little version of that with him. What I mean by that is through prayer and communicating with God, through prayer and asking, you'll receive. Seeking, you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. So when you talk to God and you say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. I turn away from my life and I want to I want to follow your way and what you say in the Bible. When you do that, you experience your own spiritual death. You die because you're saying, I die to my way. I'm dying to my own life and living my way. And the thing is, God doesn't leave you dead. He puts his Holy Spirit inside of you and then he raises you back to life as a new creation so you can actually live in that new way that he's asked of us. So you experience your own little mini death and resurrection in that. And Romans 6 talks about that, that we've been crucified with Christ, but then we also live with him. And so the gospel is all about us being able to call God our father again and And Jesus came to reveal the Father. Why he did what he did, why he healed the lepers, why he raised the dead. He he came to reveal that God is good and that he's a father who loves his children. And, And he came to adopt us back into that family, adopt us so that God can call us his children in this life, but then for all of eternity. All it takes is is believing he rose from the dead for you and then repenting, admitting you've done wrong and then turning away from it and saying, Jesus, I want to follow your way. That's all it takes. It's very simple. But if we don't do that and we reject this, we've rejected God's only son dying on the cross for us. We've rejected that. And so that the only thing left for us is the wrath that Jesus took for us. That wrath will be placed on whoever doesn't follow him. And whoever doesn't give his heart to him. And, and that's not a place you want to be because that's for all of eternity. It's a horrible place. But God does not desire that anyone would perish. He desires that everyone would come to him and have a, a relationship with him. Second Peter 3.9 says, God's not, not slow in keeping his promises. And he doesn't desire anyone to perish, but he desires all men would come to repentance. He wants everyone to come and meet Jesus. But the choice is ultimately ours. And, and our choice and our, our free will choice is, is very powerful in that. Dictates our eternity. Yeah, it dictates your eternity. But yeah, it's because God loves us that he paid the price to adopt us into his family. So in practice, what I said about ask, seek and knock, everything in following Jesus is very simple. And the simplicity of it is ask and you will receive. Ask Jesus to be your Lord. Ask him to be your savior. Ask him to adopt you. And then you receive it. (laughs) Seek him and you'll find him. Knock and the door will be open to you. And with that believing in Jesus, it comes a, a turning away from you being Lord of your own life. And him becoming that Lord. And then you read the Bible, you find out what that actually looks like. What it means to pursue a life of holiness and, and to follow in God's way. And it's all there in, in the scripture. Yeah. Amen. Seek for yourself and you'll find him. No way you'll miss him. <laughs> no. He's big. So I think that's all we've got time for. I was just going to ask, did you want to pray as we close and 
yeah, just thank you so much for joining us on, on our podcast. Before we pray, I just want to quickly remind you guys just to subscribe and share this around because we just want to share the goodness of God. So. Yeah, awesome. Okay, well, we'll just pray now. Um, yeah, Lord, I just love you, Jesus. Um, I love you, Jesus, with all my heart. You're incredible. And you're holy and you're worthy. You're, you're, you're worth our lives, Lord, and you're worth, um, you're worth us following you with all our lives, Lord. And you're beautiful and you're amazing, God. There's no one like you. You're absolutely incredible. And Lord, for everyone listening, I just ask that you would meet their heart exactly where they're at, God. Your, your grace and your undeserved kindness would just meet every heart where they're at, Lord. And, and Lord, I just ask that you would manifest yourself. You would reveal yourself. You would show the hungry hearts your face, Lord, because you say the hungry will always be fed and that there's always enough, Lord. There's always enough of your love to go around to everyone everyone who believes lord and so father i just ask for a gift of faith as well to be deposited into people's hearts that people would uh, would be able to believe you they'll be able to believe your gospel and people who have felt a blockage in faith people have felt like oh i just can't believe it i just can't believe it lord i just pray that you would give that supernatural grace that gift of faith lord to people listening that they would just they'll just find themselves believing lord they'll just have this release and just trust in their heart where they can just trust you jesus and they can just believe Lord, because you say, when we, uh, for those that believe in God, all things are possible, Lord. For with God, with man, we can't do anything. But with God, all things are possible for him who believes, Lord. So I just ask you would help us to believe, help our unbelief, Lord. And Lord, um, yeah, let, let us see your face. Just I just welcome your Holy Spirit into, into people's bedrooms and people's, uh, in people's houses as they're listening. Lord, Holy Spirit, I just welcome you there. I just ask that your um yeah you would reveal your love to the people you would reveal your peace Lord you give them a foretaste of what it's like Lord what it's like to be in community intimacy with you to be one with you Lord show them who you are show them your kindness Lord for physical healing in their body as well I just pray um for miracles in the in people's bodies Lord I believe in miracles because I believe in you God I believe in the impossible because I believe in you, Jesus, and you're the God of the impossible, Lord. And I'm just asking that you would do mighty signs and wonders in people's lives as they're listening now, that you would show people that you're real, that you're alive, and that you love them. And Lord, I just ask for a baptism of your love. Just fully dunk people in your love. Like This is called the dunking, Lord. Just dunk them in your love, Lord. Dunk them in your honey. Dunk them in your goodness, Lord. Your milk and honey, your promised land, Lord. Oh, I pray this all in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> we'll see you guys next week with another podcast. Bless you guys.